We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. One of the primary ways in which we behold our God is through His Word and through reading it together. Would you behold our God with me as you take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. 1 First, First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 23 through 28 as we continue our journey together. We've been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll begin next week with the book of 2 Thessalonians. And our theme has been our great and glorious hope. And what a hope that it truly is. As we get ready to get started this morning, I'm just curious how things are at your house. I bet they're similar. I just bet they're similar. And what I mean is, when's the last time you had company? And when I say company, I don't mean the family that always shows up at your house. I mean you had a guest come to your house. Maybe it wasn't somebody from really far away, but you had someone coming over and you knew they were coming over. Maybe they were coming over for dinner, you had some type of party, or you had some type of fellowship, but you had guests coming to your house. Do you remember the last time that was? Now, I'm just wondering when that takes place in your home, what do you do to prepare for that when you know a guest is coming? I, like I said, I may be way off base, but I'm betting that a lot of your homes are a lot like my home. When we know that people are coming over, and let me just say this, I am so thankful for a wonderful wife who keeps an incredibly clean house. I mean, she, she, she makes it a mission. But for some reason, when people are coming over, we put it into overdrive. Um, the yard has to be cut immaculate just before people come over. Everything has to be clean. We have to buy new candles because evidently the people who are coming over don't like the candles that we currently have, so we have to buy new candles. Sometimes you have to buy all new pillows for the house. Um, I, I, I figured, figured that out as well. And you do all of this preparation because you know these people are coming. And now, I want to be a good host, but at some point you find yourself going, if we have to do all of this for these people, maybe we shouldn't have invited them. But in most homes, it's a, lot, it's a lot like that because especially in the South, we want to be a good host. We want to receive people well. When you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, what you're really reading about is Paul telling these people not only that the Lord is coming and not only how the Lord is going to come, but how they should live their lives in preparation for Jesus' return. What should their life look like when Jesus shows up on the front doorstep? And the real issue is, if you live your life in preparation that that day could be this day, then it forces you to keep your house in order all the time. It forces you to look at things all the time because you aren't going to be given a one-week warning or a 48-hour warning or even a four-minute warning. So Paul is urging them, and in these last verses of 2 Thessalonians, he's telling them that all of the commands that have been given to them so far in the book, that the way that you're going to be able to keep them, that the source of power for obeying these commands is through the Holy Spirit. So Today, 
he begins to help them to understand and helps us to understand what it looks like to be sanctified, what it looks like to be sanctified, and what is the process of sanctification, who is behind sanctification, who is responsible for sanctification. So as we stand and read in just a moment, I want you to know that our big idea this morning is that sanctification is the process in which God moves believers from sin towards holiness. The big idea this morning is that sanctification is the process in which God moves believers from sin towards holiness. Let's stand together as we understand what it means to be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss, and I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Lord, teach us today that sanctification is the process in which you move us as believers from sin towards holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You'll see there that big idea is on the screen that sanctification is the process in which God moves believers from sin towards holiness. When we are saved and justified, immediately in that moment, in that process, we also begin the process of sanctification where God begins to work in and through our hearts to make us more holy, to make us more like Christ. I love in thinking about what sanctification really looks like in a believer's life. One of my favorite all-time testimonies from history is a man by the name of John Newton. If that name doesn't ring a bell, John Newton wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. Now, if you aren't familiar with a little bit of John Newton's biography, it is one powerful testimony. In fact, he said of himself and those that knew him said about him that he was one of the most vile, foul-mouthed, disgusting individuals that they had ever been around. He was the captain of a slave ship that captured, tortured, and brought slaves and sold them at auction. He was a man that knew absolutely no bounds, and yet somehow, only by the grace of God, he was radically saved by the power of the gospel. You know him as the author of what many would argue is the most famous hymn in Christian history, but I want you to hear what John Newton had to say about himself after he was saved. John Newton said, and I quote, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But I thank God that I'm not what I once was and that I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Friends, I'm so thankful today that I'm not what I once was. I'm so thankful today that in the midst of God's grace, I can look back and say, I am so, so thankful for what God has done in and through my life. Most of the time, when we look at the miracles of God, we start off in Genesis 1-1, and Kierkegaard made a really good observation. He said, most people marvel at the, at the fact that God created ex nihilio, or that he created out of nothing. 
But the greatest marvel is not that God created the world out of nothing. The greatest marvel is, that, is the recreation that God took sinners and made them saints. And by the way, hear me today. What we are talking about with sanctification, if you are a believer, you are a saint. A lot of people don't like to refer to them that way. In fact, I hear believers say all the time, well, now, I'm no saint. The truth is, if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus, if you are redeemed today because your testimony is that Jesus paid it all and all to him you owe, then when you behold your God this morning, you behold that he took you from being identified with sin and guilt and shame, that you were identified with Satan and the world and the flesh, and you were hellbound, and he re-identified you, and no longer is that your identification, but you are identified now as a saint of God, clean before him. That's what it means to be sanctified. And that's why we talk about, as we walk through these verses together, what that really looks like practically in our lives. I want you to see what he says in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Number one, sanctification is completely a work of God. Sanctification is completely a work of God. When he says, may God himself... You cannot sanctify yourself. I want you to hear me on that. Sanctification, you can't do it. How many of you in here believe that you didn't save yourself? We heard a testimony this morning. I love what was said this morning. You may, if you caught it in the baptism, what did Cole say this morning? He said, I just want to thank Jesus for saving me. One of the great things about that testimony was he didn't say, I want to thank myself for getting myself saved. I don't want to thank myself because of how incredible I am because I was able to save myself. You can't save yourself, you can't justify yourself, and you can't sanctify yourself. So that means that the work that God does to save you, that the same Holy Spirit that brought you unto salvation is the one that we are counting on to work through us and that sanctification is a complete work of God. Now, as you look back over these, the court, these verses, if you haven't been with us, then I would ask you just to look down at your Bible and look at some of the things that you see that God has commanded just in the last few verses. Forget the whole book, just the last few verses. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. That's just the, the, the pre immediate preceding verses. But if you were to read all of 1 Thessalonians, you would see other commands. If you were to scale that back and read all of Paul's writings, you would see even more commands. If you were to read all of the New Testament, you would, you would receive all of those commands. And I think one of the reasons that people can get so sideways when it comes to understanding sanctification is that though we may never utter this out loud, we believe that it is God's job to get us saved and then somehow we think it is our job to keep ourselves saved or to keep ourselves improving. But sanctification means that the same God who saves you is the one who is responsible for sanctifying you. It's only by God's strength that you'll be able to do them. You say, well, how do I give thanks always? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How am I joyful always? By the power of the Holy Spirit. There is not a command given in Scripture that you can do on your own. Think about 
about the Ten Commandments. If you just walked through the Ten Commandments and you thought about, I've got to try harder to try not to break these, what you will find is that if all you are doing is trying harder, you will actually break them more. Because the point of the Ten Commandments and all the commands of God is not to highlight your righteousness. If that's our theology, then we're Pharisees. If we think the commands of God are given to highlight how good we can be, then you have Pharisaical legalism as a faith. And what we know is, is that everything that we do, everything good we do, everything holy we do, all of that is because the Holy Spirit has equipped us to do it, and it is completely a work of God. So let me ask you this, and I have struggled with this personally for years in my life. If I've been saved this long, I was saved when I was nine. It's a long time. If I've been saved this long, why is it that so often in my life, and I think some of you have dealt with this, why is it that I feel like a bigger sinner now than I did 20 years ago or 10 years ago? Why is that? You ever wondered that? Sometimes you almost feel defeated sometimes because you find yourself going, I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm I'm in the word. I'm in church. I've I've got people in my life. I've tried to adjust some things. But when I'm honest in in the quiet of my heart, I feel like a bigger sinner now. I feel like there's more that God's shown me in my life now than ever before. And so if you've ever dealt with that, or maybe you're dealing with that today, I hope what I'm about to tell you will give you some freedom from the Word of God. It may be that you feel like a bigger sinner than you've ever felt like before because the Holy Spirit in sanctifying you may be making you more aware of your sin than you've ever been before. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the Lord will convict you of something in your life? And maybe you battle it out with him for a while, but after a battle, you finally surrender to the Lord and you repent of that sin. And maybe it is that through the Holy Spirit's power, you've had victory over that. I hope that's some of your testimony, that that has been your experience. But if you are honest, what you know is, is that after that happens, you kind of have this false idea that once you get there, that God's going to leave you alone. Well, he put that in front of me. I did it. I will have arrived. But if you've walked with the Lord for more than 10 minutes, what you know is, is that what actually happens is, now he makes you more aware of other stuff that you didn't even know to be aware of before then. And it seems like things keep continually being brought to your mind. It, from thoughts, to attitudes, to actions, to words, to heart issues, to relationships, and it seems like they pile on. So... If you've been saved for a long time, but you still have that feeling like, I'm not sure that I'm not a worse sinner than I've ever been. Here is the question that you need to ask yourself. It's not about whether or not the Holy Spirit is making you more aware of sin than ever before. That's a gift of God. The question to know if you are being sanctified is this. Are you running to sin or are you running from sin? If you in your life are convicted of sin, but continue to run to it, that should be the sign that something is wrong, dead wrong in your heart. 
But if God continues to convict you and you are running away from sin and towards the Lord, that is a sign of what sanctification should look like. Sanctification is completely a work of God, verse 23. Number two, sanctification affects every aspect of a believer's life. Look again with me at verse 23. That he will sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Sanctification affects every aspect of your believer's life. Through and through. That means no part left untouched. Spirit, soul, body. Let me give you a synonym for that. Every aspect. That nothing about you it cannot is off limits to sanctification. I think we need to hear this. I know I need to hear this. Because when God wants to sanctify us, often we say, well, I'm up for that, but there are some sections of my life that I would rather him just not touch. I want God to work in me, but God, you leave this part alone. God, this is mine. I, I'm, I'm going to give you everything else, but there's a part of me that I still want to maintain control of, that I still want to be the one who's responsible for. I'm willing to give you everything else, but this part, I, I, it'd be just fine if you left it alone. Jesus paid it all, and what to him do you owe? All to him we owe. There is no such thing as asking the Lord to sanctify you 95%. Because the 5% is what God wants. The 5%, the part that you're wanting to hold, out, hold back, is the part that he's been convicting you about the whole time anyway. And he's not going to sanctify you with the 95 if you don't give him the 5. Through and through every aspect of you. And what we see here is a beautiful link between human diligent effort and divine power and divine sovereignty. Paul said in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But he said in the same book, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Now that's interesting. Paul says, I am going to strive in verse 13. I press on towards the goal. I keep moving. But then he says, but God is the one who is going to be faithful to complete it. So let me ask you this. Which is it? Is it divine sovereignty or is it human responsibility? Oh, we have some of the silliest debates about this. People have gotten sideways theologically for years on whether or not God's sovereignty or man's free will. So let me help you out with that, all right? I will make that really, really easy. Which is it? It's both. It's both. It is your human responsibility and your free will, but your free will and your human responsibility cannot do it without God's sovereignty. How about that? So we need God's help because he wants to sanctify every aspect of our life. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that I had a house for sale. And it was on the market for a long time and, and maybe one of you was looking at it and you thought, well, I'd like to have that house, but it seems like he's just asking a little too much money for it. So you came and you asked me, you say, listen, I'd like to buy that house, but, but, but I think you're a little high on the price. And I said, well, maybe we can work something out. And so I said, here's what we'll do. I'm going to reduce the price of the house by 
Just because of who you are. You ever heard this before? Now, I wouldn't do this for anybody else, but because it's you. I want to offer you the deal of your life. And listen, I don't want you to tell anybody else I'm offering you this deal because this is a one-time only deal. This is just for you. And by the way, it's today only. If you don't sign today, you can't have the house. And you looked at each other and you said, we can't afford not to buy this house. This house is 50% off. And I said, well, just listen, though. If, if I reduce the price of the house, there's only one little catch. And it's not a big deal, but here's what I'd like, like to do. You can have the house at 50%. But I'm going to remain, retain possession of one nail in the house. I just want you to get me keep one nail in the house, and then you can have the rest of it. So you have a conversation. You thought, well, for 50% off, let him keep one nail. I don't know what that's going to affect anything. Sure, we'll take the deal, so we sign the papers. Well, I'll let you rock along in the house for a couple of months. And then I say, you know what? I own a nail in that house, and that nail just happens to be right above your front door. So I start going by and hanging garbage on that nail. Rotted, stinking garbage. But you don't have the power to remove it because it's on the nail that I own inside your house. So eventually, even though you may own the house, and even though I own just one nail, guess what? I own you. I own your house, I own your existence, I own your joy, I own everything because everything in that house is now going to stink of the garbage that's on that one nail and you don't have the power to do anything about it. Understand that when God says he wants to sanctify you through and through, most of you in here know that there is a nail in your flesh right now and that your spirit and the world and the devil keeps hanging trash on it. And you say, but it's no big deal. It's just this one thing. It's just this one issue. But the whole house can't be clean. The whole house can't be sanctified as long as it's there. And God says, I don't want a house that's clean except for that one nail with garbage and carcasses hanging off of it. I want the whole thing. It's why you can't give most of your life to Jesus. Jesus. You can't give part of your life to Jesus. You can't be kind of saved. He either wants all of it or none of it. And so we're sanctified in every aspect of our life. But third, third, sanctification prepares us to meet Jesus. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. We are being prepared not just for our own glorification, but we are being prepared so that when we meet Jesus, we are ready to be in his presence. Psalm 24 verses 3 and 4 asks this question. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? You ready for the answer? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's what sanctification looks like. How many of you know that whole time during COVID was just one of the weirdest times we've ever lived? It was weird. I don't know how many of you were trying to raise kids in the midst of that, but I happen to be trying to raise a young man in the midst of that. And one of the, one of the things we were actually in the middle of during COVID was 
When you have dealings with men, when you talk to people, we are going to look them in the eye. We are going to speak to them. We are going to stick our hand out. We're going to shake their hand. You're not going to grab their, their hand like it's a wet fish, fish. You are going to grab it hard. You're going to pump their fist, and you're going to speak clearly. I just, if you're not giving your kid that lesson, I think it's huge. That's just part of growing up. So we're in the midst of that. If you haven't taught a little boy that, sometimes it comes easily, sometimes it's not so easy. And we're in the middle of that, and all of a sudden COVID comes around, and you're not supposed to get within six feet of people, and you're not supposed to shake their hands, and all the things that go with that. And I'm going, all right, every lesson that I've been taught, now we're in the middle of trying to unteach until eventually we came up with this this kind of weird compromise the COVID fist bump by the way some people are still doing the COVID fist bump because how many of you this week you've had it happen before you either went you went to shake somebody's hand and they and they stuck their fist out and you don't know whether to shake their fist or bump them or run you don't know what you're doing and so I thought about it during COVID I thought okay well let's think about this for just a moment if I walk up to you, here's what you don't know. If I walk up to you and I say, how you doing? And I stick my fist out. You are left with two choices. Either you are trying to protect yourself from me, or you're trying to protect me from you. You see what I'm saying? Either I'm worried about the fact that you might have something that I don't want to get, so I don't want to shake your hand, or maybe you know you have something, and you're nervous about giving it to me. Which is it? Which is it? When we think about what sanctification means, what it means to go to God with clean hands, it's that we don't go to God with some holy fist bump. We go before the Lord and we have to be accepted, clean hands and a pure heart. And the only way that happens is, is if we've been sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit and we have prepared ourselves just like we would prepare ourselves if we knew that Jesus was coming this afternoon, that every day, part of our quiet time, part of our study, part of our prayer, part of our Bible reading is to examine our lives so that we would ask the Holy Spirit to purify us and help us lead that day as if we are preparing for the day that Christ is going to come. Now, when we say Christ coming, certainly there is going to be a rapture, and Paul has talked about that. But whether or not you see Jesus by rapture or you see Jesus by death, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see Him. And if you're justified, truly saved, then obviously you're going to be ushered into the presence of God. But if you're truly saved, truly saved, then it's not your desire just to skate in there by the skin of your teeth. It's your desire to live a life that would honor Him. Sanctification prepares us to meet Jesus. And then finally, look at verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful and He will do it. Sanctification is certain because of God's faithfulness. Sanctification is certain because of God's faithfulness. Our guarantee is not because of our ability, but it's because of His faithfulness. Whatever we are called to do must be rooted in the gospel or our lives will be one big frustration. I have heard so many people give a testimony about having gotten saved, excited about getting saved, 
But then not long after they got saved, they were so overwhelmed and they'd say things like this, I just couldn't do it. I, I, I just couldn't do it. Look, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I got baptized. I got saved. I asked Jesus into my heart. But I just realized the Christian life is just so hard. I just couldn't do it. Well, how do we reconcile that with Jesus saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? What happened? What happened between the moment that you met Jesus and the wanting to give up because you just couldn't do it because it's so hard? I wish every person in every church in the world would hear what I'm about to tell you. The same grace that saves you is the grace that you need to be sanctified. The gospel, sometimes when people say we just focus on the gospel to get people saved, they don't understand the gospel. The gospel is what's preached so I would get saved, but also need the gospel for my sanctification, the gospel every day. The gospel is not only what justifies me, but the gospel is what will sanctify me, and the gospel is what will glorify me. So I continually focus on not that Jesus got me saved by his work, now by my work I need to stay saved or to get sanctified. I focus on the fact that Jesus' work on the cross, that his paying it all and all to him I owe, is what now is the equipping power to allow me to continually be sanctified. Too many people come to the altar and give their life to Jesus only to say that now that Jesus has saved me, now it's up to me. If you couldn't save yourself, you couldn't sanctify yourself, and it is only certain because of God's faithfulness. If you could have kept your promises, you would have by now. And we stay so discouraged because we focus on our performance rather than focusing on Christ. But victory comes not just in trying harder, but in trusting Christ to live in us and through us because he's the only one that successfully keeps his promises. I never knew this. I, I probably should have known this. I probably should have picked up this information in some world history or world geography class along the way, but I guess I, I, guess I missed it. But can any of you picture right now what's on the Australian coat of arms? Anybody know? Kind of an odd thing to put on a coat of arms. The Australian coat of arms pictures two animals. I'll give you a hint. They're native to Australia. One of them is an emu, and the other is a kangaroo. That's the, they face each other. You, some of you are Googling it right now. They face each other, Australian coat of arms. Now, of everything that you could have picked... I mean, there's great white sharks down there, Tasmanian devils. There's all kind of animals in Australia. Why would you pick, of all animals, an emu and a kangaroo? Well, I found out that something that I found was incredibly interesting. I didn't know this about either one of these two animals. The reason that both of them were chosen and put on the coat of arms is that neither an emu or a kangaroo can move backwards. An emu, because of the way its toes are built, it can't move backwards or it will fall over itself. A kangaroo, because of its tail, is only built to go forward. 
So the reason when they put it on the coat of arms, the symbol was, we want our symbol to be this emu and this kangaroo because we want Australians to know that we aren't a people who ever are going to move backwards. That we're a people who are all about moving forward. So let's focus on that aspect of these two animals as we recognize that we want to be a people that keep moving forward. I thought about that and it just absolutely blew my mind that that maybe that's what the two animals of Christendom ought to be. That we ought to be a people who say, like those two, we're not going back. Some of you have been in some places and I'm just going to ask you, why would you ever go back? I, I don't... I don't know every one of your stories. I don't know all of your testimonies. But I know enough of your stories and enough of your testimonies to just look at you and as your pastor and as your friend and just somebody that loves you, why would you go back? You've been in the pit of despair. You've been a slave to sin. You've been Satan's house pet. You've been somebody who refused to follow Jesus and refused to love him. And you've been caught up in things that you knew were wrong. And he was faithful to sanctify you and convict you. And praise God, he didn't leave you alone. That's something I don't want you to forget. God could have just left you alone, but he refused. And you kept hearing that still, small voice. And sometimes it was a loud shout. Sometimes he put it in the mouths of preachers and in the mouths of friends. And sometimes the conviction seemed like it came out of thin air. But he brought you out and he placed your feet upon a rock. And how foolish and how ignorant and how sinful it is that some people, having been delivered from the mouths of a lion, would say, throw me back in the pit. Not me. I want to go forward. I want to go forward. And I want to recognize that, yes, sometimes the Christian life, I understand, it is three steps forward and two steps back. But I'm still netting a step. And the reason that I'm netting a step is not because I'm getting better. But it's because God's always been good. And he's faithful. And he's faithful. So I'm asking you today, if you have never been justified, then you are not being sanctified. Have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you ever let the cleansing flow come onto your life and let Jesus pay it all? All. All. The Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive you from all unrighteousness. Maybe it is today that you are a believer, but you're a frustrated one. Because right now there is conviction on your life about sin in your life and you've been fighting it. But the same God who saved you is the same God who can sanctify you and you need to come to Jesus to the cleansing flood. Some of you are real frustrated right now. And the reason that you're frustrated is even though you would say out of one side of your mouth that you believe in grace, you've been trying to muster up enough courage and effort of your own to get better. And you're not good enough. And you're not smart enough. And you're not strong enough. And I don't say that to you because I'm mad at you or I don't like you. I say that to you because I want you to be sure that you know one that is strong enough and is good enough and who can accomplish it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You need to hold on to that with everything that you have and all that you are. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. 
We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.